Welcome to the Cross the Line Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith, and today's episode is sponsored by Charlene's Home Cooking on 1136 East Blackstock Road in Moore, South Carolina. Charlene's Home Cooking is a family restaurant that cooks like grandma with fresh veggies, meats, cook to order. You can do a meat with two sides, a meat with three sides, or a veggie plate along with sweet tea, Kool-Aid, and lemonade. Cakes, pies, and cobbler are also available for dessert. She wants you to feel at home anytime you visit, so make sure you stop by on Monday, Thursday, or Saturday from 11 to 6, and Friday and Sunday from 11 to 7. Everything is fresh and from the heart, and she would love to see you. So if you guys happen to stop by anytime in South Carolina, if you're in South Carolina, Spumberg, South Carolina, please stop by. Lovely woman. She'll make you feel like family. Always great conversation. But let's get this interview going. Today we have a special guest with us. We're still down in Atlanta, Georgia. We have a very special guest. Um, We love the work that she's doing. Um, an entrepreneur, and she has something that's very interesting, something we would love to bring to our area eventually. Okay. So today, we're sitting with none other than Dr. Lakeisha Hallman. How are you? Carlos, I'm doing well. Welcome to Atlanta. Thank you for having us. We love the area. Even just driving down here, we were already mm-hmm. talking about how the vibe of Atlanta is just different. Yeah. The only thing I don't, I don't really like is the traffic. I knew you were going to say that. Other than traffic, <laughs> I'm fine. Because for a while, I was like, you know what? I don't want to live in Atlanta anymore just because mm-hmm. of the traffic. But I love, like, the environment and, like, how it just feels like. You see, it feels like you're just like, around, like, a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and people who are trying to build something. So that's why I love being down here. And thank you for having us once again. Indeed. I'm excited to sit with you. I'm so proud. I'm just so proud and inspired by the work mm-hmm. and your commitment to entrepreneurship. You, you. you don't live here and you travel here today. Absolutely. It's pretty much, I tell everybody, it's just a self-investment. To right. me, the self-investment is the best investment you can make. So mm-hmm. um, one of the things I want to do, I was like, I, I wanted to travel anyway. So what better way to do it to travel and, and eat different foods and also learn different right. things? So Because the learning process never ends. So mm-hmm. just to be down here and still to be able to sit down with you and pick your brain, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an honor for me. But I, like I was telling you off camera, the way that I found your interview was uh, from Dr. Nika White. I interviewed her last year. She does some diversity and inclusion work. So thank you, Dr. Nika White, if you're watching this. So she shared your article from Because of Them We Can. Mm-hmm. So I happened to, you know, read the article. And I was like, this is interesting. Let me see if I can find <laughs> you. So I went digging, of course, social media. That's one of the, the good things about social media yeah. is like everybody pretty much is on there. So. I went, found your email, and reached out to you, and thankfully, you guys got back in touch with us. So, mm-hmm. so I really appreciate that. So, starting out, um, you own the Village Market, and here in Atlanta. So, for people watching this, what exactly is the Village Market? I tell everybody, the Village Market is an actualized Wakanda before mm-hmm. the movie, because we've been we've been growing since 2016. Mm-hmm. But if you've seen the the movie Wakanda, you've seen, Love it. yeah, you saw yeah. Black Excellence yeah. unapologetically. Yeah. Uh, community mm-hmm. and the village market typifies that it is truly a marketplace that happens quarterly where we gather 100 entrepreneurs from across the country and out of the country and welcome about 3,000 to 3,500 shoppers to come out to circulate the dollar within the black owned community and beyond just the marketplace we have programming because I used to be a teacher um, mm-hmm. and I knew that I couldn't give my students everything, but I knew that I could arm them with the knowledge and if they would apply it, their lives would change. And I take the same model with the village market. 
So if the if the marketplace were to end, I work with at this point thousands of entrepreneurs to give them their resources that they need to sustain wherever they are. And one of my questions I was going to ask you was, uh, how did you come up with it? And it's it's kind of unique because we had another young lady. It's crazy. She was a teacher as well, and part of the reason why she felt like she left the school system. She had something. It was at the time it was called the Tumble Buster, but I believe she changed mm-hmm. the name now. But she felt like part of the reason why she left the school system was because she felt like it was still shortchanging the children. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to come, go out and create her own opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she does different different activities and it teaches students like a create creative ways to learn. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, giving them exposure to entrepreneurship. So is that kind of like part of the reason why you left the school system as well? Uh, it's, it's a layered answer. So I'm one of those educators who's going to be educated till I die. Um but when your life has been called to do different things, you can't stay where, where you once were. Mm-hmm. So even if I wanted to stay in a classroom, I couldn't. Like, I am truly an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Um, we talked off camera about just the need to be free. Mm-hmm. Um, leaving a classroom is I wanted to be able to have the world be my classroom. Mm-hmm. Like, my thoughts are not limited to one school, one class, bell by bell. I think about how do you expand your mind where you can go from state to state, country to country, teaching and empowering. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm still an educator. I just flipped the model of education. Absolutely. And she said the same thing. Instead of saying teacher, she always said the word educator. Absolutely. Instead. She loves to say the word educator. But how, So how long have you actually had the, uh, the village market? Since 2016. Uh, yes. And I've been a full-time entrepreneur um, for a little shy of a year now. Okay, wow. Mm-hmm. So, so how was that transition like going from you know working for somebody else mm-hmm. and then making that transition to full time you know entrepreneur? Uh, freeing, thank God, mm-hmm. <laughs> thank God I got free when I did. But I will say I'm grateful for all the years I spent learning from someone else mm-hmm. um, because I think that's what happens when you when you are someone else's employee. You get to learn leadership. You learn the things that you don't like. And you also learn the type of leadership model that you don't want to be yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'm always appreciated. I always appreciate the 15 years I spent being a servant to education. Um, and the biggest transition was understanding it's okay to do something different. And that the security of having a salary, I can have a greater salary for myself. Absolutely. But when only thing you've seen and only thing that you've been taught is you go to school, you get a good job, you retire from that job. I had to undo my mind to realize mm-hmm. that was my parents' pathway and some of my friends' pathway. It just wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and many times I say I should have left sooner. I was ready then, but not in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like when your mind shifts, you can do anything. Absolutely. So it's been freeing. Absolutely. And that and that's one of the things I actually posted something uh, a few days ago. I was saying at 27 years old, um, I find myself in a position where I'm unlearning a lot of stuff Absolutely. that I was taught, like mm-hmm. in school and, and life in general. Like you were saying, just high school, college, after that, you go get a good job, mm-hmm. you stay there, and they got great benefits, and then you retire. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying, also, was one of the best and the worst things to happen to me was working two jobs at one time just to try to pay student loans, which, right. which was like a stranglehold because I was paying 500 a month. And I was just in the cycle of get up, go to work, mm-hmm. take a break, and then go back to my other job at night and get about four hours of sleep, and I'm back to work again. So it was just hit me one night. I was at work like, I got to get up and do the same thing again 
Absolutely. the next day and the next day. It's like something got to give. So eventually that's what kind of made me transition from working two jobs, which I still have a job now. Yeah. And for people watching, it's not like we're bashing anybody. There's nothing not. wrong with having a job, but at the same time, it's still okay to create your own opportunity mm-hmm. and invest in yourself. So that's that's what it got me, which is working those two jobs, just to work and pay bills. I'm like, I don't think life's supposed to be lived this way. Like, right. it's not meant to be lived like this. So yeah. I was like, I just needed to do something different. But you just know when doing something, things different sometimes, people will look at you like, man, you're crazy. Like, yeah. what are you doing? You need to stay there and all that, that kind of thing. But And they're operating, you know, when people say you need to stay, it's only because they're afraid. Mm-hmm. Um they can't see more for you because they never saw more for themselves. Mm-hmm. And when it's parents, they just want you to be good. Yep. And good means go to work so you can get paid so you can eat. And so the house that you want one day that you, you can buy. Um, and I really think there's a place for that. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the firm believers that I don't believe that entrepreneurship is for everyone. If everyone mm-hmm. is an entrepreneur who's going to be on your team. True. I think being in a place where you are fulfilled is for everybody. So even if that's working for someone else, as long as you're fulfilled, you're serving your purpose. Mm-hmm. But if you're unfulfilled and unsatisfied and you feel like every day you're, you're a robot, you're 27. Mm-hmm. If you do the journey, how you taught to do the journey, you're going to be doing this until you're 57. Can mm-hmm. you imagine? Exactly. It's like if that's the part that we have to think about, should you give 50, should you give 30 years of your life to what you're doing right now? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And because... Like you were saying, like if you're doing something you love, it, it won't feel like work to you. And mm-hmm. you can use the platform that you have to yeah. inspire other people. But it's just, you know, I, I love my parents and, you know, they, they would just, I guess, and you go grow up in that kind of environment where you just work just to pay bills and make sure yeah. food on the table, clothes on your back, and take care of your siblings and your family members. And it's kind of like, kind of like wired to kind of like do the same thing. Yeah. It was like you don't know anything different. And, Part of something else I want to talk to you about was like entrepreneurship mm-hmm. was, you know, do you feel like with not having that in school kind of hurt us as well? Because they didn't teach us about entrepreneurship. We, we rarely heard the word entrepreneur growing up. It's like something that's left out of the school system. So mm-hmm. we don't get that exposure to it. Right. Uh, absolutely. I think as much as I appreciate education, um, the systematic approach of education, and we can only speak of where we live in this country, is very limiting for black and brown people, mm-hmm. unless you are in a place where you are the majority. And like fiscally, your life looks different. Mm-hmm. So if you're in one of those proper, uh, prosperous school districts and your, your family got it like that, you're going to get a different education. Absolutely. But if not, then you get a very marginalized education. So our, of course, teachers wouldn't teach about entrepreneurship because they're also at work working for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then we don't really think about, I think about my small town in Baseville, Mississippi, where I'm from. I never even thought about the insurance company. An entrepreneur had to create that company. Mm-hmm. It was just an insurance company in the town. Mm-hmm. No one ever said that someone thought about opening up their own insurance company and you could too. Right. And so it's like how we talk about what already exists is important. Mm-hmm. So, like, for your small town and my small town, we should start saying that somebody, like, a person came up with this restaurant. You're exactly. not just going there to eat. You're going to eat at somebody's idea mm-hmm. that they created. Somebody had to come up somebody with it. Somebody had to come up with mm-hmm. it. And I think, if nothing else, we should talk about that in the school system. Uh, 
everything from the gathering spot where we are now to your podcast that people listening to was a concept. Mm -hmm. And then working hard, you created it and we're sitting here today. Um, There has to be a space in the curriculum for it. And if there's not written in the curriculum, teachers need to be armed with the charge to tell free young people that chemistry is hard. Entrepreneurship is also a thing that you can do and apply to your life as well, that it won't be easy. Mm-hmm. And just like the same way you said, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. School isn't for everybody it's either. absolutely not. And it's just like some of the stuff that they teach us, we never even use again after yeah. we graduate. Like, <laughs> like chemistry. Chemistry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and physics. And geology, like yeah. all this stuff. Like I remember in college, I had uh, art history and music mm-hmm. history, like, I never even used that stuff right. again. It was just like stuff that we had to take as electives to, mm-hmm. you know, to graduate. It's like, why are they giving us all this stuff that they know we're not going to use again? Anyway, right. it's like just information that we don't necessarily yeah. need. So that's why I feel like we do need that kind of exposure of entrepreneurship early, earlier in life because it, at least if we had an exposure, maybe we can try it out mm-hmm. and figure out it's not for us. The same right. way we have to go through school and figure out school mm-hmm. is not for us. It's... um. Just the model of when we say school's not for everyone, I do want everyone to know that learning is for everybody. Absolutely. It just doesn't have to be inside of that box, mm-hmm. inside of the constraints of a system. Because whatever you're taught from a high school level to a collegiate level, someone chose the things that you were going to learn. Mm-hmm. That's the limiting part. It's like if you're from Mississippi, if you're from South Carolina, people pick like in your senior year, these are only things that you're going to be taught. Mm-hmm. That's the limitation. Yeah. It's like, why are we only being taught these things? Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurship needs a complete pathway. Uh, it is going to arm black, brown, white people included, a level that you can create your own things. Then after you can create your own things, how to do it, that has to be taught as well. Absolutely. And one of the things I'm going to talk about shortly is uh, like, like as far as history and things like they didn't really, we didn't learn about our history or things like the Black Wall Street yeah. and stuff like that. We we didn't get that kind of stuff in school. But I, I want and I'm gonna get back to that in a second. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask you, where did you get your entrepreneurial book from? Like, uh, thankfully, this is from the blueprint. I tell everyone I am so grateful that my grandparents were entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and great grandparents were entrepreneurs. They don't use this word at all. I tell my grandmother, "You're an entrepreneur," and she's like, "What's that?" And I, I said, you created your own business. You bought, you and my granddad bought this land and bought this house and helped educate me through from a concept that y'all had in your mind. Mm-hmm. And so I've only seen entrepreneurship. My parents took a different pathway in working in a, fa- a factory. But from where they came from, my grandmother was the seamstress for the whole community. My grandfather was the farmer for the whole community. And... When you live in a country, people already naturally barter. We don't even know that. It's like we had an Uber like 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Somebody catching a ride to take you somewhere else you need to go. Um, so that bug is just a part of my DNA. I saw my grandmother operating in excellence, too. Mm-hmm. I saw her going over a pattern over and over and over to make sure that, that a person's wedding dress was something they would never forget beyond just the wedding. Mm-hmm. Like, like. Pearl by pearl, hand by hand. And so when I when it was time for me to create my own business, I just wanted to have that same level of diligence. Mm. But I knew, like, when you have seen it, then you know that it's possible in a different kind of way. And, and I was saying on the store earlier with uh, Miss Panay out Peru when we sat with her, like, the first person I actually saw, but I ne- it never 
I never used the word entrepreneur yeah. was my uncle. He he worked a regular job. He had a nine to five, but on the side he he cut grass. Yeah. So all he did was he used to go to different places and cut at restaurants and all different places yeah. and cut around the neighborhood. But I used to just say my uncle cut grass. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I never used the word entrepreneur. No, the whole time <laughs> that's what he he was yeah. doing. He was just cutting grass. He had his own company. Mm-hmm. But it's just like man, I never used. That were entrepreneurial. Yeah. But it wasn't, wasn't top pack. Exactly. And like if your uncle like cutting yards for like restaurants and other businesses, and we like think about what that means, that means your uncle is like a supplier for the community. Absolutely. It's like think if he understood that that's what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the contracts will look different. Um, even my if you ask my uncle what he does, and he cuts lawns in Memphis, he'd be like, oh, I cut a couple yards, and I was like, Unc, no. You have all these contracts, and now when people come to you, they have to come correct in a different type of way. Absolutely. So so how does your family look at you now being an entrepreneur? Did they encourage it at first, or how was it? Oh, it was interesting. Uh, I think for my father, my mother's deceased. So for my father, I, his mindset was do that, but keep your job. Mm-hmm. But do that, too. Um, my grandmother, who was an entrepreneur, she said, I want you to do it, but I don't want you to do it as I don't want it to be as hard for you as it was for me. I don't want you to have to like beg people to pay you for your work. Right. Um, so I think she was afraid, afraid because her experiences of an entrepreneur was very hard. We're always trying to compete with her own community about how much you should pay her for the level of time and the commitment. Um, and my dad, he just always wanted a safety net. As all our parents do, they right. want, if you jump out the plane, can you open a parachute before you jump out? Yeah, so I can make sure that you're good. Uh, so it's mixed reviews. But I've shared with so many people. One thing that I know that my family did, I didn't have to go out in the world and seek funds to start the village market. Um, my first funding came from my family. Mm. My second funding round of funding came from my family. I told... Uh, my family and closest friends, how much I needed to get started, how much I saved. And really within 48 hours, I had the first seed fund to start the village. And two years ago, my cousin was like, you got to come home to the family reunion. You got to come home. And I was like, okay, I'm coming. And it kept bugging me about coming. And so when I drove up to the family reunion, there was this big banner of me in the village market. And every, when I'm getting out the car, I'm like, oh, my God, there's this big check saying keep going. So even in their fears of like, I hope she's OK, mm-hmm. like what type of insurance do you get when your family is just cutting you the check? So I never had to like ask people. And showing that they believe in you. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I love to share that story because I also know that this story, everyone doesn't have that. But I think it's important for black people to know that black families do these things, Absolutely. even if they don't understand what you're doing. Because mm-hmm. you ask my grandmother today, what is the village market? She's going to say something my grandbaby loves. Mm-hmm. It's all she got. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, sounds good. Right yeah. there. It's absolutely awesome. So one thing I like to ask also as an entrepreneur, when do you know it's time to jump? Oh, that's good. Uh, when you can't sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Um, when you find... Nothing satisfies you but doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, when you almost become agitated with your everyday because you can't give more to what you love. Mm-hmm. That's how you know. 
and when you can't sleep and everything irritates you about working for someone else um, and you see yourself come alive in your own creation, you see yourself coming alive driving to Atlanta, right. then you know. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing that you're going to face traffic, mm-hmm. but it still push a smile on your face because you are doing what you were created to do. That's how you know. And other things that you can do to really protect that jump, the parachute symbolically, it's making sure you have some money saved um, because you can jump out of the parachute and entrepreneurship is still hard. Mm-hmm. You're still always trying to make sure that people are investing in your vision um, and reinvesting in your vision. But having a security plan, I just sat with a young lady before um, I met you and Calvin. Um, she said, how do I know when I'm ready? I said, I need you to do a six-month exit plan. Every month should be a different goal. And it has to be someone that that you respect enough to hold you accountable that every month that you do this. Mm-hmm. And why not? You've got to have a savings plan every month. It can be $500. It can be $100. But something has to go to your towards your freedom right. every month. Um, and when you do those things and have the security of some type of funding to protect you, um, I say give yourself a chance. We we live one time, Absolutely. and if we live it well enough, we live many lifetimes in one. Absolutely. And we can always go to work for somebody exactly. else. Exactly, jobs all, are not going anywhere. Exactly, you can always. And I, and I always say I would rather, um, like I was telling you about being one of the things we yeah. said was I rather live saying, "Oh well, knowing that I tried, then what if? What if? Like, what if I would have yeah. at least took this chance and tried something? Because you never know. Mm-hmm. Just like when when I. People ask me all the time, like, hey, how do you get such and such on to do your interviews? I'm like, man, honestly, I just ask. Like, I just mm-hmm. take a chance and I just ask them, say, this is what I'm doing. Would you be interested <laughs> yeah. in doing it? So it's like, if I don't ask, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and like I'll tell people all the time, Steve Harvey, one of the things I remember him saying is, uh, so what if they say no, so what? It's so not what? like you never had it anyway. So right. it doesn't hurt to uh, to ask people for stuff. Mm-hmm. Just take a chance. So. That's all I, that's, this is really what this is about for us is creating our own opportunity and showing people that you can create your own and invest mm-hmm. in yourself and invest in your people. So that's something that we always tell people when they ask me. And it makes me feel good to know people who reach out to me and say, hey, how do you start a podcast? Um, <laughs> I'm working good. I'm working in radio and um, can you give me some kind of advice of what I do? I had a guy ask me that last week about what he's working at a radio station and what kind of advice could I give him? And it, when people reach out to me, it just makes me mm-hmm. feel good, like, okay, I know I'm doing something right. right. And when people are asking me for advice, which I don't mind at all, like mm-hmm. sharing sharing things that I've gone through and giving them some tips of, of what they can do. Right. So it, it's just fulfilling for me to know that I'm helping somebody else. Mm-hmm. But I want to go back to um to the uh, to the village market. Um to me, it gives me vibes. When I think about it, you correct me if I'm wrong. It kind of gives me the vibes of somewhat of like a, a Black Wall Street, where it's like mm-hmm. back then, back then we were all we had, so we had our own doctors and lawyers and grocery stores, yeah. and we created everything that mm-hmm. we have. Would you say the uh, Village Market is somewhat kind of like a, a Black Wall Street? Mm-hmm. Um, when I was the, envisioning the model and what what I wanted to be and what I wanted to feel like. I wanted to feel like that everything we had was enough. Mm-hmm. That if we get the black doc, the best black doctors in the village, then you never have to look anywhere else. Mm-hmm. If you get the best like hoodie apparel, this is my friend Kareem. It's like you can sit with us. Like 
I don't need to go to the mall because the quality of this is is amazing. And Black Wall Street was one of many communities. Mm -hmm. And I think what's sometimes limiting about our own stories is that we forget that Black Wall Street was one of many, that there were so many Black-owned, incorporated towns, and not just streets, towns Mm -hmm. operated by us. Absolutely. And the only time I've seen things get destroyed by oppressors, if it was pushing us to a place where we were really free. Absolutely. So they said, why did the bombings happen? Because we we are literally self-sustaining. So as doing black too people, good. we're doing, doing too, too good. good. We're doing too good. Mm-hmm. And we're like we're self-sustaining. And that is a level of power when you truly don't need the outside world and everything you need is within your village. That was the model of the village market. I wanted to create something that the elders like my grandmother could be proud of because they've seen it before. And I wanted, I want, I want us to remember who we are because this world will inundate us and we'll forget and we'll start thinking that we're a minority. When have we ever been? Everything is influenced by the culture and the mindset and the brilliance of black people. Absolutely. And that's what the village market is. It's just is this loud and vibrant, uh, symbolic measure of this is who we are. We are the best there is. Do you think we'll get back to a point where we'll see more and more of your events or Black Wall Street type yeah. thing? Do you think we'll get back to that that kind of point? I hope so. I mean, we're sitting in the gathering spot right now, mm-hmm. and this is owned by two young black men, and. The best of the best of Atlanta mm-hmm. comes in our members at this space. So we're living in, yes, we're getting there. Um, every time I hear of a new marketplace, an expo, I get excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, you should be worried because that's competition. I said, no, there's surplus. There's surplus, of, there's surplus of opportunities for other Black-owned businesses mm-hmm. to get exposure. I look forward to the day that we can move beyond event space and owning back the block where then the black wall street can be an actualized thing where the village market has to go away every quarter. Imagine open for business every single day, unless Mm -hmm. we're on vacation. Absolutely. And then we're choosing our vacation days. Absolutely. And like I was saying, the gentleman, uh, brother Ali and Mohammed, uh, uh, the gentleman we had from true larger, Mm -hmm. when we interviewed them, Malik, and they were saying kind of like, Back then, they were like I was saying, they were all they had. So mm-hmm. they made sure that if it was something that they could buy in their community, they right. went there first. And if not, then they would go outside mm-hmm. and buy those other things that they couldn't have. And I, one of the things I asked them specifically was um, like the desegregation. Desegregation, like did they kind of did they feel like they kind of like hurt our community because then the the black dollar went outside of mm-hmm. our community. So. In a sense, do you feel like that kind of hurt us as well? Or how, how do you look at that situation? Oh, I think it hurt us uh, immensely. Mm-hmm. Because what it hurt more than us going outside collectively, our dollars leaving our community, it contaminated our mind to think that we had to live es- elsewhere mm-hmm. to show excellence. That across the track was so much better than who we were. That we had to have white neighbors. I have tons of white friends, but I'm very unapologetic in my views that what broke us, it broke our mind to feel that it was something else better for us than within our own. Mm -hmm. 
So it's not just the dollar that left. It's the spirit of the collective power that left as well. Mm-hmm. It's like you, even now, you have people who still got to live in certain neighborhoods to feel like they made it. Mm-hmm. Um, they got to send their, their kids to certain schools to feel like their kids are getting the best education. And we know systematically, in some in some instances, this is true. Some, some neighborhoods are safer than other neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Some schools are better than other schools. But imagine if we would pick the best of the best of the best and occupy a space. Mm-hmm. That's what happened when we were, our communities were bombed because we didn't just decide to just go across the tracks. Yeah, absolutely. Bombed and people were killed and almost afraid at this point to live where, where they live. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of kind of like one of my pet peeves also is, you know, like what our people feel like. They can't get something from us or they feel like they have to go to the other side to yeah. feel accepted or whatever. And one of the things I hear all the time now is like even in music, like artists, instead of going where they're celebrated, they'll go where they're tolerated. Meaning Absolutely. they they don't want to be embraced by our people. Mm-hmm. Like we want to go somewhere else to feel like we need their acceptance. Mm-hmm. We need to be at their seat at the table instead of like investing in our people and, and creating yeah. for our own self. I think that's that probably would be one of my pet peeves. I would love to see, like you were saying, like more of us coming together. Absolutely. Because when we come together, we create so many more things, mm-hmm. like you were saying. And having a seat at a table in a in a, a very oppressed system is still an oppressed seat. Absolutely. That's having that seat, you still want to go as far as they allow you to go. Um, I do know that we have to be in spaces for access. Access is important. But imagine that. I'm good on this table. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take my wood and I'm going to build my own. That's a different mindset. Absolutely. It's like I, when I created the village market, I didn't seek any table to sit at. Sit at. I didn't extend my hand for an invitation to come across. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to get my friends and I, because you need community no matter what you do. We're going to build our own table. We're going to build our own access. And it's going to be something that's so attractive. And so powerful that we never have to walk back back here to an oppressive system. Absolutely. Did you feel like you got any kind of pushback from anybody because you were trying to build something on your own? Absolutely. Um, I think uh, Jay-Z said it best, that a lot of the advice that you get from people, they're on scared beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes as a people, we don't want the best for each other. Absolutely. I think we just got to have, like, if we're going to tell it, we got to, like, tell the full truth of it. Yeah. That... We get hit from the outside, and sometimes that hit in the inside hurt us worse. When you're trying to build and your own community want to build against you, in a sense, um, I felt all of it. But I'm, I'm, I tell everyone I'm from Mississippi, so I've been, yes. I'm bred to know that it won't be easy right. and that resistance is going to come, but I would always withstand it. Um, I know that. Just because the journey is difficult and that you may get a lot of naysayers, a lot of people who don't believe, who won't initially invest. If you continue to operate in excellence and make it something that you in South Carolina see across your feeds about the village market, then the job has been done because you were able to find out about us because the work begins to speak for itself. Mm -hmm. And it's like you and your podcast, the work speaks for itself. Absolutely. It's going to get to a point where you don't reach out to nobody. And like, mm-hmm. man, Carlos, what I got to do to sit with you? Come on. That's how it works, yeah. though. That's Absolutely. excellent. That's true. 
And that's like, like you said, the power of social media. Absolutely. But I want to ask you this as well. One of the things, uh, we had a, a lady, Miss Lundia Hammond, we call her Sue Ham. I love her. Uh, uh-huh. And she was saying part of the issue with our people as well is, you know, when we either try to get stuff for cheap or we try mm-hmm. to get it from free. And when, when you see things from our community, we feel like it lacks excellence. Do you mm-hmm. feel that way also about trying to build a black business? Yeah, I think um, so for us, we have a very uh, selective vetted process. Um, there's a price point to get in the village market. I tell everyone it should be because what you invest to get inside the village market, we've invested in you four times before you ever enter the door. Um, I know I'm bringing people out to start to shop from you. I know that your business will be elevated. Um, but you, when you have a black owned business, people already expect less. And sometimes from our community, they want more, but give less to even get more. Uh, I tell everyone to stay the course Set your prices, but make sure your prices match excellence. Um, don't hit your people over the head when you won't hit another community over the head. How do how dare you be compromising and have excellent customer service first for someone who doesn't look like you and then give your own people less? Um, that's plantation thinking. And that means the oppression continues to work. We have to give each other the best. Absolutely. And we give every customer the best. But for us, I couldn't miss being on your podcast because it's yours. Thank you. I appreciate it. But that's how we should think. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's how we should think. And that's what that's when we like renew the mind of how we see each other. Mm-hmm. Is this is yours. I'm gonna give you my best. Um you're gonna drive to Atlanta to make sure it's the best. Absolutely. And like I was saying, some people like a lot of times we'll go where we're tolerated instead of where yeah, where we're celebrated. Yeah, and it's so backwards. And I, like you said, we have to kind of break out of out of that mindset. But like you're saying, how how hard is it to pre- prepare for like events like this? Oh, very hard. I um, as we were walking in, and I was speaking to the young lady who works the front door of the village market. She was like, "Oh my goodness, y'all event was crazy good." And I said, "Yeah, it was so good. I'm so happy it's over." Because <laughs> it's so much stress um, when you're tr- when you it's so many moving parts. So before the village market opens up, I'm working with at least 24 to 25 black contractors to produce the show. Mm-hmm. Then when it's time to actually get the vendors, that's 100 black owned businesses. 60 percent of them are local and the rest of them from across the United States. And because we train before we before you showcase. I have to put together classes. I have to put together webinars. All these things before the community comes. And then when the community comes, you plan for how is their experience from parking to when the attendees meet them at the door to their shopping experience and to even when it's time for them to go home. How are we on their minds? Right. It is the way that your mind never rests in events. If you want it to be unforgettable, oh, my goodness. It's so much it's work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. One of the things I've read in uh, Essence Magazine article that you had um, recently, like you said, back in 2016 and 2017, you went after some meetings, I believe you said oh, you uh, cried in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, let's take one quick break real quick, and we'll be right back. This is Cross the Line Podcast. Welcome back to the Cross the Line Podcast. We had to pause for a quick second, but we are back. Now, Dr. Key, we left off with um, talking about the article you had in Essence Magazine where you said back in 2016 and 2017, you uh, cried in the car feeling like you failed for some reason after all these meetings. Can you elaborate on mm-hmm. that a little bit? Uh, so 
when you first start a business, you're going to get all this advice from people. Oh, you need to meet with this person. You need to do this in order to be successful. And I found myself listening to people more than I listened to myself mm-hmm. um, because they seem, you know, they had more years of experience, the content experts. So the world said. And one day here at the gathering spot, I had eight to nine meetings. And I just remember my head hurting so bad when I got to the car. And I couldn't even really remember anything that I met about other than the village market wasn't going to be a success um, because it was too isolated. Like right now, people on the way with supporting black businesses. Nobody going to like subscribe to any plant based foods because all the food inside of the village market is vegan and plant based. Um, and I just didn't even know the tears were coming. Mm-hmm. And like I felt my face and I was like, and then that's when it just, I just cried for all the frustrations and the amount of meetings and the amount of having to prove myself. Um, I'm a firm believer in self-care. So I'm a tree hugger. Mm-hmm. A lot of my house, I'm a minimalist as well. So if you come to my house, my house is majority books and plants because I know that in order to survive on this planet, our, our personal environment has to be one that feeds us. Absolutely. So my plants feed life, my books feed, feed me life. Um, and then I'm like, if you know all these things, why are you taking all these meetings with all these people? Why are you going back, going away from what you know with self-care and trusting, um, and trusting yourself? In that moment, I just the level of disappointment in myself, um, believing more people, believing in more people who didn't have the vision than I believe in a person who had the vision right. myself. I just felt like a hypocrite. Um, as I got myself in a car in, in the same parking lot we both are parked in today, I was like, I'm never doing that again. Um, I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to run with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to run my race. Um and when I say the only meetings I take now, the ones I want to, um, I haven't pitched Village Market in over two years now. So that's you, the best feeling, right? That's there. the best feeling. If you come, you're going to love it. That's all yeah. I got to say. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. what, what do you do now to kind of like take care of yourself? Mm-hmm. It's, it can be stressful, like having so much in your play. What do you do to like try to take care of yourself? Um, being very selfish with my time. Mm-hmm. I give myself two hours every day just for me. Now, how that two hours is broken up is different. I make sure my first hour of the day is just spent quietly, not working, not thinking about the village, only just thinking about my own well-being. Uh, meditation is another thing. And meditation for people look different. Um, but just allow my mind to just rest free for a minute, not trying to solve any answers. Um, mm. And really also not trying to be everything to everybody. For those two hours, I only care about what I want to eat, what I right. want to drink, where I want, who I want to talk to, what makes me happy. Um, so I spend a lot of just a lot of time of just allowing my personal time to be very peaceful. Um, I eat plants, so I'm, I'm 100% plant based. I, I need to learn, learn more, more about, about it. Yeah, because I, <laughs> I hear wanna, people doing yeah. it now. It, it didn't seem like. Sorry to cut you no, off. No, you're fine. Way. You're fine. It, it didn't seem like it was a thing. Four or five years ago, but it now wasn't. it seems like now people it's are a thing. becoming vegan and yeah. plant-based foods. It was, yeah, it was a total thing. Uh, so the reason why Village Market is plant-based, because I was plant-based before it became a thing. Mm-hmm. And the reason why people didn't believe in it is because it wasn't a thing yet. 
Um, so everyone was like, black people are not about to come to no market and shop. And down, they got to eat some cauliflower at the market. And I was like, but they will, as long as the cauliflower tastes good. Um, it's the mindset again. And as long as I don't make people feel guilty about what they eat outside the market. Right. I share with everyone. I'm from Mississippi. I have eaten everything. If I go to my grandmother's house right now, she's going to say, it's catfish vegan. I'm like, mm-hmm. it's not. Um, but I don't, nothing I do in life am I ostracizing people or making myself appear to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the foods at the village market being plant-based and the products being all holistic, I just wanted people to come and experience something different. Mm-hmm. And I told every, every culinary artist, you got to make sure the food's good. Because with our community, you sometimes only get that one chance. Absolutely. And if I want us to live better and live healthier and live longer, um, I need to make sure that first palate experience is one like, man, I ain't no cauliflower could taste like this. Uh, I didn't know you could make greens that's so seasoned and there's no pork in it. But I just don't think you should knock people for eating pork. I don't think you should knock people for eating meat. What what made you want to uh, go vegan because, like you said, being from the South, you know, we used to like ribs and pork mm-hmm. chops and steak and, <laughs> yeah. and, all, and macaroni and cheese, all those good foods. What made you uh, switch and, and go plant-based? I tell everyone my mother is was like my inspiration for this. She was suffering at that time with lupus and breast cancer and all the medicines and the ster- steroids. I just saw like her, just the quality of her life she could barely get out of the bed, though she was putting like 12 pills on her body to get out of the bed. Mm. And I'm like, but the pill's not working. So you still taking this, you still dying. Like, what can I do to help to make your quality of life better? Um, and so I started to like research stuff because I was still living in Mississippi. I was teaching in Mississippi Delta at the time. And I would read things by Dr. Savy. Y'all mm. should look him up. He's incredible. Mm. Um, his daughter's doing good work right now. Um, and I learned about like electric foods and stuff like that. And I didn't tell my mom about electric foods. You got to meet people where they are. But I did buy, <laughs> I bought a juicer and then a blender. And I was like, every day I think we should like start our day like this. Mm-hmm. And I would stop by their house before I went to work. And we'll have our juices. We'll have our smoothie. And I'll check in. How you feeling? How your energy? Uh, did you have to take anything? For any- did you have to drink a Red Bull to get out of bed? And she was like, no. And when I saw her, the quality of her life changed. Though she still died. Mm-hmm. Sorry to hear that. She, but she died so much better. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's like it, it broke my heart to see her transition. But to see a person mind transition before their body goes was amazing to right. witness. She would say things like, we got to change our environment with how we live. Like, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to watch these things. I'd rather read these things. And what you eat today so I can eat the same thing. And though she transitioned um, and she's no longer with us, I just took, I just kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want her to go on that journey by herself because none of us could take lupus from her body or cancer from her body. I just wanted to be the part of making her every day, making her right. every day just a little bit better. Absolutely. And do you feel the uh, difference in your body when you went plant-based? Is oh, it, yeah. Or is it still? I tell everyone I feel like I'm a superhero. Mm. Um, the reason I don't really get tired. And I can't tell you the last time I've gotten sick. And the time that I do get sick is because I've allowed myself to get stressed. So it's like, it's not just the eating that has to change. The environment has to change. You can eat all these plants every day. And if your thoughts are toxic, then you just ate some plants. If 
none of your friends are encouraging you and filling you up. You just eat plants. Mm-hmm. It's like the, it's holistic. Everything has Everything. to change. Everything. Like you can't, you can start with the plate. But I tell anyone, if anywhere you want to start first, start with your soul. Start with the things that you tell yourself in the morning and the people and the people that you allow in your life and what you allow them to say to you, too. Absolutely. It's all that's all like uh, just take care of your body. And like I said, I go on this entrepreneurship route. Like I just started reading more and learning Mm. different things, like unlearn a lot of things that I definitely need to. Eat, well, I don't eat a lot of pork and mm-hmm. pork chops. Stuff. I just randomly just cut out ribs and stuff like wow. that. Like, I, like I, I'll eat a steak every yeah. now and then. Like, I, I still <laughs> yeah. eat a steak, but I, which I still want to make a transition because mm-hmm. I'm still like congested now. But it's like definitely want to you know eat healthier because mm-hmm. I want to be around for my family and my children as well. So yeah. it's like all of that. And but I, I, I definitely agree with a lot of the stuff you were saying. So I might off camera. I'll probably ask you a lot more yeah. of these questions as well. <laughs> You're fine. But um. For you, what's the hardest part of entrepreneurship? Um, really, sometimes it's such a lonely journey. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you have teens, even if you have a family, um, and even if you have friends, a lot of decisions are left to you. A lot of decisions are left to me. Mm-hmm. And then you have to learn. You have to learn to trust yourself. Like, did I make the best decision today? Some some days the answer is no. You have mm-hmm. to be cool with that. You're still learning. Right. Uh, and sometimes the answer is yes. And we have to learn how to celebrate when we finally got it right. right. Um, but I think being the final decision maker is the hardest thing because there's no supervisor that's checking in. Um, it can't fall back on anybody. It all falls back on you. That is probably the most difficult. And I think for like a universal thing that's difficult for black owned businesses is funding. Mm-hmm. It's getting people to invest in your dreams in a real way. Um, to give you the the money that you need to really run the race at an appropriate pr- uh, pace because systematically how it's set up where we'll say white businesses, what they average on a year end, it's like over $500,000 a year. And this is between one to three years in business. For us, one to three years in business, it's a good year if we make 20000 for mm-hmm. a for the like the consensus of black-owned businesses. You have unicorn companies that have a breakout year of in that six figures or over 60,000. Mm-hmm. But what's normalized for us is that we only make enough to take care of ourselves and build a website. And that's it. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And so when people invest in you capital-wise, if you have white-owned companies that's getting the, the capital that they need, if they're at 500,000 and you get nothing, the line is already here, but you are you all the way back here. You say, well, why am I, why am I not growing? The odds are not set for you to grow. So it's like you got to have if what we're missing is the capital and also the resources. Is it easy for us as African-Americans to get access to that capital or how how should we do it? Uh, It's actually very difficult. It's one of the most. The amount of the lack of money and opportunity for capital is the same with the amount of people getting a Ph.D. I think it's like 0.3 percent or something like that. And so for black owned business is. We take all these people in the gathering spot today, and we say there's 200 people here. Probably one person out of this whole group would get the capital that they need to get started. Mm-hmm. If we take that same model, and everybody here was white, and especially white men, out of 200, then 150 of them are good. Mm-hmm. And 50, like, come back next year, because I got some other funding for you. Um, so that is actually one of the most difficult things. The equity gap, uh, racial equity, is 
ever growing. Um, but I, I say that we can't make people give us money. Period. I created the, the village market simply because I couldn't give people money either, but I could give people community. I can get. I can make sure that you that you sell some pro, some products tonight enough to clear your mortgage for the month, and we have to start thinking creatively how to support each other. Absolutely, and one of the things like we we talked about in the past was we sometimes when we tell people how much it costs to buy our product, we won't we won't buy because we'll say it's too high, it's but too high. we won't go to somebody else mm-hmm. and try to negotiate with their prices like whatever they want. Yeah, we we go ahead and pay it. So, do you feel like we can? Do we have enough? Is it enough to just simply rely on the black dollar to keep a black business open? If we spending uh, trillions of dollars every year just black folks, absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you look at the data, it's on our website on the about page. If you look at the data of how much does black people spend every year uh, on a concentrated weekend, a Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, trillions of dollars are spent. From black people. Mm-hmm. So if trillion if trillions of dollars are being spent across, like from to from Linux Mall and so on and so forth, imagine is if only 40% of that went to black owned businesses. Like we're right. good and then some. We are the t- we are the number one consumers in our country. So of course we have the money, the buying power to be self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. I just feel like part of it's part of it is like a mindset thing. Mm-hmm. Just because like I was like I told, uh, we hit, we sat with Dr. Ali and those gentlemen. One of the things that kind of blew my mind was the out the uh, outcry from Gucci earlier with the blackface yeah. thing. Like they were saying we're gonna boycott Gucci for three months mm-hmm. or whatever, and then we go right back to them, knowing Absolutely. they show us how they feel about African Americans and those kind of things. We'll boycott them for a little bit, but then we go right back instead mm-hmm. of you know like supporting our own people, mm-hmm. like just supporting each other and investing it back in our community. Mm-hmm. So I feel like. It's a mentality like we had to break break from get a break from, and like you said, invest in our own people. It's it takes a consistent mind change, consistent options to shop black. Um, we go back to Gucci, no different than like some of my cousins who've been in prison before mm-hmm. and miss prison. Right, like it's just a mindset they've been conditioned to be in prison. Mm-hmm. We have slaves who were free and when they got free it's like give me back the plantation right um because they never got a chance to envision nothing else mm-hmm. um gucci is comfortable and when you grow up with the mentality that you did disenfranchised on many people wish list they look for a today that they could buy gucci absolutely it's and all that is like systematic we were really trained to think like this so i offer materialistic this yeah but also just what it means to have and what it means to have not. The reason why um, there was this research done a couple of years ago with the amount of money that black mothers spend on their black sons to look like they are, I guess, at a certain level. When in the study talked about black mothers would buy their sons Jordan before they would pay for their rent because they wanted their black sons to go in the world to say that my son is just as good. It's insane. It is, but that just means the plantation worked. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a while to undo that, but I don't think we can do it by the way that we've like slapped each other in the face about it. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason why we feel like Jordan is what we need to authenticate our presence. 
is a reason why black mothers feel like I got to put my black sons up against the world and he needs to be dressed in this. Right. Um, I just tell everyone I'm a firm believer that means oppression is still alive and prevalent. Um, but how long are we going to stay there? Right. Yeah. You just have to invest, like I said, it's going back to, you know, investing in our people. Yeah. And uh, kind of one of the things I want to tie into this as well was for me, college, and I have, even though I have a different opinion about it, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I would go back if I had to do it all over again. But mm-hmm. if I did, I wish I would have went to HBCU instead yeah. because I feel like it was just, the money would at least went to them and, um, I'd have been invested in my people and my, of course, invested in myself, but still, at least my money was going into mm-hmm. a, a HBCU instead. Yeah. So part of me does wish that, would you encourage more people, our, our people, to attend HBCU? If it fits for you. So Tupelo changed my life. I never was on a HBCU trajectory. When I was young, my father would take me to Ole Miss campus and tell me to, like, tell me to dream. Um. Because what he thought of what he thought the pipeline to success was was going to Ole Miss because it's the only thing he knew. Right. Um, and then I ended up getting a full academic scholarship, uh, an athletic scholarship to Tupelo College. And I remember when I went there for a college visit, I'd never seen so many black people in one space who were doctors and professors. I'd never seen anything like that. And I think, and I remember knowing that my decision was made because I never, to me, that was like akin to diff, a different world. And I'd never seen that other than on TV. Right. And I remember this lady named Prof, Pro, um, Professor Bearden. And I was like, I want to be just like her. And all these people in school were all black and all these professors were black. And I don't tell everyone to go to HBCUs. It has to be your thing. Right. But if you get what I got, was much more than an education. The level of self-awareness, the the level of real history, like you are not taught that you are simply you were simply a slave. You learn from black philosophers. Um, like you're, the way you show up in the world is just so empowering. That when I went to Ole Miss for grad school, I I understood that if you had an all-star team, I was adding to your all-star team. Yeah. Tougaloo gave me that. I didn't come like I was riding a bench at, at Ole Miss. Right. I'm like, y'all, y'all should be happy I'm here. Absolutely. Yeah, that's how, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking, uh, at least for me and my experience with being with going to HBCU, it just it helped me understand who I was in the world and that we are the ones who shaped the narratives. Right. The only experience I had was my best friend, one of my best friends. He um, played football at South Carolina State. So mm-hmm. my freshman and sophomore year, we went down for homecoming. And it was totally different from USCL <laughs> yeah. State. It was it was some of the best times, man. It yeah. was just the environment and everybody that was down there. Like the homecoming experience was totally different because we don't have a football team. Right. So our homecoming is, I think, coming up in February. They do it during our basketball season. Mm-hmm. But, oh, man, it was just like night and day. Right. Like the homecoming experience. I'm just like, man, just being in that environment, mm-hmm. I was like, part of me, if I did go back to school, I would love to have had the opportunity to. Yeah. And it's, it's not just about partying and all that. But, it's uh, the experience, yeah. the culture. And like you saying, like the history, like the history uh-huh. and things you were taught, like they didn't teach us. They didn't, teach us it's, it's, they didn't really teach us a whole lot. The mm-hmm. stuff that they didn't want us to know about, we have to read it in books on our mm-hmm. own time. Instead, you, you don't hear about it like yeah. in, in college or in high school yeah. or whatever. 
So that's why I say I wish part of me will, um, I wish I would go to an HBCU. Yeah. But I'm still, of course, now I still read one of my books. Now I um, read was History of the Black Dollar. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, a really um, powerful book. Yeah, a really powerful yeah. book. And I learned a lot of stuff. And now I'm like, man, half of the stuff they didn't even teach us. Mm-hmm. Like, they just left yeah. it out of our curriculum. And you think about it, they have no interest in knowing. Exactly. And so what happened through colonization, um, what happened to desegregation is that it took the power away from us to choose what our kids learned. Mm-hmm. So we were limited to, and I love Dr. Martin Luther King, but we were limited to Dr. Martin Luther King and yeah. Carver and Dr. Maya Angelou and Toni Morrison. And these mm-hmm. people are great. But when you understand that there are hundreds, well, we only been taught four. Exactly. Yeah. That's a problem. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they if we don't learn about this stuff, it's kind of going to like, wipe away our history like yeah. we won't even think that we did all of these great things just yeah. and it's insane like um I, th- I don't remember what they were talking about on the breakfast club a couple of weeks ago they were saying there was some producer in hollywood when for the harry tubman movie they wanted julia roberts at one point in time they was thinking about letting her play harry tubman saying yeah. that people wouldn't know the difference we're like really are we <laughs> right, really at that right. point we're gonna try to let her play harry tubman and she's a great actress don't mm-hmm. get me wrong but it's just like really how how can Somebody of our color, not of our, of our color, that's not African American, uh, played Harry Tubman. Yeah. So it's just like, like you, you said, she's great. But since when did any of us play Abraham Lincoln? Exactly. Like, oh, it would be an outcry <laughs> if something like that happened. Oh, it would. It's yeah. It's like we're the only ones that are positioned where someone else can live our lives better than us. Exactly. We'll never ever be in, in authority of another culture, subculture's legacy. Exactly. Like ever. It is never a choice mm-hmm. for us to be the leading role in anything that's symbolically white. Exactly. It's, I just feel like a lot of times it's like we're doing it's like we get to a certain level, okay, you're doing too good. Yeah. That's enough. Mm-hmm. No no ownership or nothing. Like we got you here, we want you to stay here. And right. sometimes sadly, that's what it takes for a lot of our people. Mm-hmm. Like we get to a certain level. And we just we just get content. Like yeah. we make a certain amount of money, we got enough to pay our bills, and we got enough to go on trips every now and then. Yeah. So we're good. Like mm-hmm. that's all it takes for us. But a few more questions, and then we'll wrap it up. For people who wanted, uh, who think about going into entrepreneurship, what advice would you tell them? Start. Um, read some books. Carlos just mentioned that he's an avid reader. I'm an avid reader. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things that's free that's accessible. So many TED talks. Um, so many you things you can look up on YouTube to really understand what it takes to maximize this space. Um, but if you've been given any type of vision, you need to go towards it. And you may be given a vision that this is not what you're supposed to do anymore. And that's fine, too. If you don't have to stay committed to something because you're not going to be the same 27 year old five years from now. Exactly. Um, and so it's OK. in entrepreneurship, the art of the pivot is amazing. Knowing that you can pivot in your career, that your wants can change. Um, but entrepreneurship will not be easy. I don't care what Instagram says. I don't care how successful everybody's winning on Every, Instagram. Right. And it's not true. Um, and it doesn't matter how many success stories that you see. Every one of those success stories is, mar- is married with failure and moments in life that humble you so much. And you need mm-hmm. all of them. Absolutely. But it's just not it's not an easy journey, but it is absolutely worth it. I would choose it. And rechoose it every single time again. Absolutely. What's the best advice that you've received? Um, that keep going. 
um, thank God for Nipsey. Oh, like yeah. when you oh, understand, man. like the marathon continues. Mm-hmm. Like if you really, like if you think about the journey of a marathon, it's like one of the hardest paces to run if mm-hmm. you know anything about track. You, it's so many times on the journey you're gonna run it by yourself, and mm-hmm. so many times somebody's gonna hand you some water that you didn't expect, mm-hmm. and then other parts of the journey is going to be so long and your body hurts. Absolutely. But there's a finish line that you're going to work towards. So it just the anytime someone talks to me about the marathon, I smile. Yeah. Because to me, for any entrepreneur and anyone who wants something worthwhile in life, you have to commit to running the marathon. Absolutely. And just just hear you say that, talk about Nipsey. It gives me chill yeah. because it's like, man, he was he was just so one of a kind to me. Like, of course, we have a Jay-Z and Diddy, those icons. But to me, Nipsey was just as important, man. Absolutely. Like the stuff that he was doing, and I paid attention to him. I still watch a lot of his interviews now. Mm-hmm. Just talking about he just, he's like he never was the smartest person. He just kept going. Mm-hmm. He just Absolutely. never quit. It's a it's a marathon, and it's just like man, he just even in his music, like the things that he spoke about, it was just like, oh man, it's just like he was one of a kind. Mm-hmm. And then the name of his album, Victory Lap. Absolutely, it was just those kind of <laughs> things, man. It, and it was, I don't know. To me, it's just sad, you know. What could he have been? What more could he have mm-hmm. been? Um, even if he passed away at 33, but what could he have been? Because he was doing so much more and investing in his people. But for him to, to, to be murdered that early, man, it was just sad to me. Yeah, absolutely sad. Um, but the thing about when you're prolific, his mm-hmm. words, you don't die. Absolutely. Like anytime someone needs some inspiration to hear his voice, mm-hmm. it's now within the thumbprint. That's powerful. And all of us can only wish that our legacy extends that far and that the legacy is so accessible. And it doesn't matter if you're in Mississippi, in South Carolina or in California, like people can find your voice and find refuge and hope and motivation. His life was cut short, but his legacy wasn't. Every young Nipsey that's going to come afterwards get to listen to his album and his music and his talks Special. and read it like the Bible. That is something that is going to be self-sustaining and no one can take that part away from him, which is it's like, phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And, and he had this line, I don't know if you heard it, in Game's album, Born to Rap, that came out a couple of weeks ago. This, the song is called Welcome Home and mm-hmm. we listened to it on the way here. And one of his lines in the song was, I'll probably die in these streets, but I'll survive through my name. Absolutely. So to me, it's like, man, he, it's like he kind of, mm-hmm. I don't, he, I always tell people, I don't think he wanted to die. Yeah. He didn't expect that, but it's like, in a way, he kind of saw how things mm-hmm. were going to play out, mm-hmm. I guess, because of his, his environment. Right. And it's like, with him saying, survive through my, die in these streets, but survive through my name, it's like, man, that's, it's yeah. like, man. And it's like, now people are still, of course, saying the marathon continues mm-hmm. and buying his products. I, I don't think I wish we'd have, he would have been celebrated more while he was, while here. He was here. Now it's like, yeah. He got a Grammy nomination last year. He's got another one this year, but it's still. It would be great if he could have lived to lived see it, all this. To see it. Exactly. And many he, of us always get celebrated in our demise. Uh-huh. So I think when we see that, when we see that Dr. Martin Luther King is great now, um, and that streets are named after him now, uh, that he's a hero now, and Malcolm X is a hero now, we have to take it upon ourselves to celebrate each other right now. Absolutely. Like, Every every community has a hero. And if we don't take it upon ourselves to celebrate the heroes, then we'll be having the same conversation that I wish I could have told him or her. 
It's like when we see that something has to change, we just simply got to change it. Absolutely. What do you think? I know I said we got a few more questions. But we're <laughs> for those, so. But what do you think holds back a lot of black entrepreneurs? Oh, our mindset. Our mindset and also the conditions of, uh, of what we've been given. Um, we don't control the monopoly board. Mm-hmm. And we really control just the pieces that they give us. And when you don't control the pieces, they can take that away too. Um, but we don't control the board. The board can be snatched in any day. Mm-hmm. Many of our platforms are on Instagram. Think about the power of that. It can be shut down by the time we walk out of this room. Yep. And people will lose their and mind. And people too. will lose their yeah. mind. And nothing will be done about that because we don't control it. So that that our mindset and thinking, rethinking and reimagining what ownership is. Absolutely. Yeah. Any other, um, as far as the village, I know mm-hmm. this is like your main business right now, but do you have any other business ventures that you're yes. looking to branch out into in the future? Uh, yeah. So I have the village market. I also have... Um, I've been a speaker for years at this point. Okay. Um, so I'm very fortunate that I get to go around the world um, and as far as, as China, training okay. about community, uh, getting paid to train about community and building villages um, and thinking about education differently. So that was actually my first business. And I don't really understand. I didn't know one day that I would end up being um a paid speaker, trainer, facilitator. It just seemed to happen and it kept happening. And I was like, oh, I need to formalize this and make it a legitimate business in consulting. So I have several clients, um, companies, agencies, entrepreneurs who I help um, build their businesses and, and build efficacy and relationships uh, among their team. Um, so, yeah, and all of these things keep me so busy. Right. And I, I have... The things that I'm going to do in 2020 would be in Mississippi. I'm working now to build a community center um, in a hometown mm. that's very close to my hometown. That's where my, where my grandmother is. But a lot of my energy next year would be making sure my grandmother sees this while right. she's alive and can experience it and to see what legacy works, re- work really looks like. Mm-hmm. So, but I want to, I not want to, I will open up spaces like this all over the country. The village will be a ripple effect. Um, because my mind, like I, no, no, no small visions. Yeah, no small visions um, with anything that I do. Absolutely. Like Ben told us, if your dreams don't scare you, they aren't big enough. They're not big enough. Not big enough. Just a couple more questions. Um, the year's not over with yet, but we're almost there. It's hard to believe it's almost been another year mm-hmm. or two. Yes. But what is your New Year's resolution? And then on top of that, what would you say is your ultimate goal? Oh, that's good. Uh, New Year's resolution. Carlos, why are you making me think about this already? Um, New Year's resolution is, um, like, always understand that I'm the magic. Like, period. Mm-hmm. And, and that's in every every room, every arena. Um, and to only give what I have. Mm-hmm. And when I don't have it to give, say no. Um, and always, I just want to help more people. I want to help people liberate their mind and I want people to liberate their pockets. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And my ultimate goal is that what we just talked about with, with Nipsey, like I want uh, whenever the day comes that my ultimate goal would have been that I really left this place better than, than how I acquired it. 
um, that people's lives would continuously change, um, that I was honest, that I operated in integrity, and that I really did the best I could with what I had. But for me, a singular win is not enough. If I'm the only one doing doing well, I have failed miserably. Winning should be plural. It should be just as easy as it is for us to breathe the shared the shared air that mm-hmm. is in, inhaling in our, all our lungs right now. Like I want it to feel like that. Absolutely. That it's just it's just easy as taking a deep breath and exhaling it out. That is my ultimate goal. Absolutely, sound that is perfect. Um, one more thing, and I didn't ask it earlier. What is and I know some people watching people watching this white want to know what is some of the criteria um, for Good you know, getting into it. Yes, uh, you have to have your stuff together. Make sure you have a website. Uh, make sure you have an Instagram page that's linked to your business. Uh, when I say website together, it doesn't have to be this perfect thing, but you got to have something there where people that people can shop from you and find you outside of the marketplace. I'm not here to only have a market. I need people to be able to find you and support you when we close the doors. Um, that you are, you have a social impact in the world, that you are also doing good and building a business because we can't truly build a village if you are the only one that's winning. Right. Um, and we have an extensive application at www.thevillagemarketatl. If you go under attend or participate, I believe, participate, you can see all the criteria. Um, but our website also has a wealth of resources. Um, we have a really great blog that probably answers any question that you may have. But just be ready if for the village market. Just let your heart be good first absolutely. and that you have a deep, sincere care about our people. Right, absolutely. So I hope you guys took that in. One more question. This one is for me. You know, mm-hmm. I told you I like to read. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like a, a book nerd. Um, what are some books that you like to read? Because some of the ones, like I told you earlier, I read The History of the Black Dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, one of the ones that stuck to me really was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, I finished mm-hmm. reading The Secret maybe like a month ago. Um, Nipsey put me on 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing and also uh, Contagious. It was another book. That I haven't read. read that one. Yeah, it's, 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 it's good. A, mm-hmm. okay. That's actually how he came up with because uh, his Crenshaw mixtape, he sold it for $100. And that's how he actually came up with the idea of selling a mixtape for $100 because wow. he read Contagious. So that was another book. But I got a stack of books in my room that I, I just sit there and read. Um, what are some books that you would recommend for me and other people watching mm-hmm. this as well? I think just from what you named, I like anything by Malcolm Gladwell. The Outliers, mm-hmm. David and Goliath. So my advice is pick any book that he has written. Mm-hmm. Um I love how simple his language is, but I also love that he thinks different than most of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, how I thought about business and that 10,000 hours of excellence. He talked about committing 10,000 hours mm-hmm. to something. Um, any one of his books, Blink, any any book by him is really, really good. And um, I Beyond reading, though, I really, really enjoy TED Talks. TED Talks. Pick one. They're just... Is that kind of like a event where they just do speaking engagements Yeah, where they something? do speaking engagements. And most people are telling, like what we're doing right now, they're telling their story. Mm. And they're more so telling a story about how they solve the pl- uh, problem. But there's some really inspirational ones. Um, so I enjoy those. Uh, we talked about the Breakfast Club. Every now and then, people sprinkle in and drop some gems. They do. Yeah. Like the Byron Allen. Yeah. Yes, Byron Allen. That's another one. Um, 
But yeah, Malcolm Gladwell, for you, Carlos, and everyone who is listening, there's some really good books that he has written, and they really help you shift your mind. Absolutely. So I got something new to watch as well. Mm. Read and watch. Yes. Right? So thank you for that. Before we get out of here, can you tell everybody how to find you on social media? Yes. So follow the Village Market first. Uh, it's the Village Market ATL. And my personal page um, is Dr. Key Hallman. They D-R-K-E-Y-H-A-L-L-M-O-N. Um, every now and then I share something inspirational. Um, but I'm not always the best at social media. Um, but please, please follow the Village Market ATL. Absolutely. Thank you again. I got to follow I'm not big on social media like yeah. anywhere, but I, I'm, I'm trying to, especially doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. But I haven't had to do more, but I want to thank you. Um, this is well worth the drive. Um, just want to give you your flowers while you're here. We mm-hmm. appreciate you, and thank you for what you're doing for our community and just inspiring people. So thank you so much. And we got you a gift over here as well. Oh, yeah. So, Y'all come bearing gifts. Absolutely. Y'all some good so, men. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank we you, we try. So hopefully everybody watching this, hope you guys enjoyed it. But until next time, keep chasing your dreams. It's a Cross the Line podcast. Thank you for listening.